welcome to a special bonus episode of the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this bonus episode, I'm joined by dermatologist Dr. Joanne C., who is here to answer the questions you submitted on acne, from whiteheads, blackheads, and blind pimples, through to hormonal acne, recurring facial acne, and acne on the body. Year-round, acne is without question the subject I am most frequently asked about. However, given that acne is a medical condition, these questions are always best reserved for an expert. Dr. Joanne C. has served on the state and federal boards of the Australasian College of Dermatologists and is at the forefront of acne treatment in Australia. She is invited as the sole Australian representative to the International Global Alliance to Improve Outcomes in Acne, and together with like-minded colleagues, she spearheaded the formation of non-profit health initiative All About Acne and has been its long-standing co-chair since its foundation, making her one of this country's leading experts in acne. In the name of full disclosure, this episode is sponsored by dermatologist-recommended pharmaceutical skincare brand La Roche-Posay Australia. However, as per all of my expert interviews, the guest doctor is never here to push specific brands and products. For this reason, you will only hear Dr. Joanne recommend ingredients as opposed to products, giving you the tools you need to make your own educated purchasing decisions. On a personal note, I genuinely do reach for La Roche-Posay's Effaclar range whenever I experience a breakout and have done so for several years. The most recent addition to my personal skincare routine is the brand's new Effaclar Ultra Concentrated Serum, which I credit with helping visibly reduce a very recent seasonal acne breakout thanks to its combination of LHA, glycolic and salicylic acids and niacinamide. La Roche-Posay is recommended by over 90,000 dermatologists worldwide, which is why I've trusted the brand with my skin for so many years. I took to Instagram recently to collate your skin questions. And in this episode, Dr. Joanne and I are talking acne. From the difference between whiteheads and blackheads and whether topical off-the-shelf treatments can actually help to clear stubborn breakouts through to hormones, birth control and their impact on the skin and why acne can still affect us well beyond our teenage years. A broad question to start off with, but this is something that popped up quite a lot. What actually is acne? When we see a pimple appear on our skin, what are we really seeing? Well, acne is actually the medical term and what you're seeing are pimples. So the term is acne vulgaris, which sounds pretty awful, but you're seeing pimples and you're seeing a variety of pimples. So superficial ones that we call open or closed comedones and open comedones are blackheads and closed comedones are whiteheads. And then we get inflammatory ones. They're your papules, pustules, the pinky spots, and then you're getting deeper pimples and they're nodules or cysts. This is perfect because a lot of people were asking if there is, in fact, a difference between whiteheads, blackheads and those red blind pimples. But I suppose, yes, there is a difference. Well, yeah, there is a difference because one of the differences is the depth in the skin. So if they're very superficial, they're comedones, 
And if there's an inflammatory component, that can point to a, a more difficult to treat acne. So that's your pinky spot, your deeper, angrier lesion, and often the one that tends to recur and often the one that tends to scar. Mm-hmm. While we are talking about these different forms that acne can take, a listener asked, how do you get rid of those pesky little bumps on the forehead? And she's added, they're not not acne, but they just won't go away. I know exactly what she's talking about. Uh, okay, okay. And what you're actually looking at is something called milia. And milia are very, very superficial. And I explain it to people, they're like a grain of sand or a few grains of sand. They typically occur in women. And what they are are tiny flakes of skin or keratin that are in these microcysts. So if you have, God forbid, a magnifying mirror, you can see them, but you can feel them and they're not pimples and you can actually treat them. And people will definitely say, I know they're not pimples, but they're like pimples. Mm-hmm. So it's M-I-L-I-A, milia. And Gemma, do you want me to mention what people like to know about treatment? Because Yeah, it's I would love very... that. Okay, so... Not that I like people to do it, but sometimes you can open them up and express them with a sterile needle or a blade. Uh, I don't really advocate that, but I know it's done. And sometimes we use hyfrication or cautery and we have something that looks like a pimple and there's a brief charge of electric current and it goes and you open up the milia and they come out. Other times you can use... uh, some chemical peeling agents in a superficial chemical peel, something like glycolic acid. And if it's very, very widespread, some people will actually consider microdermabrasion. The vast majority of the listener questions that were sent in were submitted by adults about their own acne. So I would love to focus specifically on adult acne today. What are some of the most common causes of acne in adults? Okay, well, acne in adults is extremely common and I think we're seeing more and more of it globally. So you have your patients where there's a genetic influence. So they come from a family that has difficult acne, long-standing acne. And the thought is that these people perhaps have oil flow that is more than the average person. So they inherit that. The other group of people have hormonal triggers And what we're actually seeing is our body's natural hormones stimulating the oil gland and we're pumping out more oil. And that can be in our adult years because of stress. It can also be because of hormonal fluctuation. So sometimes as a teenager, as a 20 year old, you're on the pill and then you want to have a family and stop the pill and then you get post pill acne. So the causes are, really genetic and hormonal, but then there's also the stress element that we see. And for some people, it's using a lot of makeup and that can make things worse. I imagine we'll have a bit of an overlap 
with this question and the last, but let's spend a bit of time on hormonal acne because that was without question the topic that popped up the most. A number of listeners have asked why they are still getting hormonal acne as adult because they thought they were in the clear now that they'd made it through puberty. Yeah, it seems so totally unfair, doesn't it? <laughs> it because does. we actually think of acne, often people think of acne as a teenage issue, a mm. teenage medical problem that they'll grow out of. But the issue is that your oil gland is constantly triggered by your body's natural hormones. And therefore, even as a young woman or maybe a more mature woman, you still have the hormones that give you your menstrual cycle. And those hormones, when they rise and fall, stimulate the oil gland. So that's why. And that's often why in mature women, you know, women who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, they're still getting pimples because their hormonal situation is still happening. They're still getting their periods. One listener writes, I have acne brought on by polycystic ovary syndrome. What yep. is the best way to treat this? And she's added that it is specifically around her face, her chest and her back. Okay. Well, I think it's really important to point out that Hormonal acne can look like regular acne. And when you have adult acne, it can be persistent. So you can have acne in your teens. It can then go into your 20s and 30s. Or you've got the scenario where you don't have acne as a teenager and you get it later on in life as an adult. So you can just have facial acne. But then people who have facial acne, they say... 50% or possibly more have truncal acne. So they have spots on their chest and their back. So it can look very much the same. There is the thought, and some people think that hormonal acne is more on the jawline. And we might talk about the distribution, but it can look just the same. It can be superficial, or they can have really deep recurrent lesions that tend to last forever and stay longer. Another listener has asked, why do I get pimples in the exact same spot every month right before my period? Okay, so uh, that's sort of two questions because they get it uh, before their period. It's really common. Most women, when they have this hormonal cyclical acne, get it in the week before their period. And that's the time when their androgens are increasing. And those androgens we're all yin and yang, we're male and female hormones. So we get this natural rise in progesterone that triggers our oil gland. And the other time you get it is when you ovulate. So some people will notice that. So that's because they're still getting their periods month in, month out. They're still getting pimples. However, the distribution's interesting. So you get it in the same spot. Say, for instance, you have a deeper lesion. You've got a nodule or a cyst. That is going to live there. That's like a balloon that opens and closes, is stimulated before your period, and then it settles down when you have your period, and then you have your period again, and it blows up, and then it settles down. So that's because you've got a deeper lesion. There is some thought. So why are you getting it in your T-zone or around your jawline? is that's where a lot of the oil glands are. So it's a factor of distribution that you have more oil glands there. And then possibly is the scientific thought that maybe those oil glands 
are triggered by your hormones as a like a homing pigeon when your hormones are there they will be the ones that preferentially start causing trouble now i can't quote any great articles on that but i i have read in the past that that's a thought it's a it's a trigger where your hormones stimulate and they always are coming back to the same place while we're on that distribution i had a number of listeners write in regarding recurring pimples on the chin this is obviously a really common place for breakouts. So is this is this the same thing, just the fact that the oil's kind of through the T-zone? Yes, very, very, very much so. I guess the other thing is, you know, sweating where people are putting on a lot of makeup. Um, but that lower third of face was classically described as the hormone, hormonal acne problems area. Again, on that area, the jaw popped up so often that's definitely the area that I find breakouts pop up on me the most as well one listener wrote in saying I've tried facials supplements topical products and I still can't control the breakouts on my jawline why could this be I think that unfortunately you're struggling with uh it's not uh okay it's a really hard one and it's really frustrating for people because that's the story that this is a recurrent episode. This is a cyclical thing that comes month in, month out, or possibly with times of stress. So uh, I, I think people often blame themselves, but you can't say to the person, there's something magical. And I think that's a really difficult thing because people look to some magic or they look to some hope, wave the magic wand, but I'm sorry, that's a really hard one. I think. I mean, I think it's worth going to a dermatologist as well if that's within your means. If you've tried everything else, go to the experts. Well, that Gemma, that's really interesting because people have looked at how much money women spend before they actually get to a doctor, yeah. and it is frightening. And there was a study that was done from Melbourne, and it looked at the average spend for the six months before seeing a GP or a dermatologist, and it was hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And the other thing that was interesting, it didn't matter what socioeconomic group that person was from. Mm. So people often thought, I'm going to spend the money and I'm going to get this fixed. But often there's a medical problem. And so getting back to your lady with PCOS, That is really interesting because a lot of people don't know about PCOS. They don't Mm. know about polycystic ovary syndrome. And it's really hard to diagnose because the classification has been really quite controversial. But for women, they should think about if they have an irregular menstrual cycle, if they have a history of uh, increased hair growth, increased greasiness, Uh, and then there are medical tests so you can have laboratory investigations like a blood test Mm -hmm. to look at your body's male and female hormones and perhaps an ultrasound and that can show you whether you do have cysts because that has other bigger wider implications for general health Mm. yeah this i'm often just baffled by people's reluctance to go to the doctor yeah look you know i guess we're dealing with acne, we're dealing yeah. with pimples, which is a medical condition, if I have to remind everybody yet again. And oftentimes it's a sign of something, you know, yeah. dermatological diseases 
They can be a sign of stress, of all sorts of things. But with acne, if you've got PCOS, it can be associated with diabetes, with metabolic syndrome. It can, as you know very well, it can be associated with infertility or difficulty having kids later. So I think it's a really important thing to exclude and because it will give you a guideline of of your future. Mm, That's important. Circling back to these breakouts on different areas of the face, do breakouts in different areas of the face mean different things? I've seen these, you know, face charts pop up. Is there any, you know, truth to what they tell us? Oh, my Lord, I've seen those face charts and I find it very hard to believe that that part of your face correlates with your colon or your kidney or your big toe. So in general, no, 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 no. Um, uh, Look, I'm a Western medicine practitioner and I have dealt with acne and been on international boards for decades now. So all the scientific literature, the distribution on the face does not really indicate an underlying systemic problem elsewhere i'm so glad we've (laughs) we've touched on that one we've nailed that myth (laughs) i see them pop up all the time and i just hmm, i got i got a lot of questions on it i received a few questions regarding the contraceptive pill and acne which of course it is going to be different for everyone the effects of the pill on the body one listener has asked is there a way to prevent my skin from quote unquote freaking out when I come off the pill? While another has asked, do you have any tips around going off the pill after spending the last 10 years on it? I have never had acne before, but I'm worried. Okay. They're very real questions. And the issue with the contraceptive pill is that it actually, yes, it helps with contraception, but is, it is actually a recognised acne treatment. And the reason why it is, is most of the oral contraceptives that are given are combination. We call them combined oral contraceptives because they have an oestrogen and a progesterone. And what that does, it decreases our body's circulating androgens. And let's remember that those androgens are the male hormonal uh, content that increases our sebum flow. So by giving the oral contraceptive, we're decreasing those androgens to a normal healthy level, and that is not turning on our oil gland. So when women are on the pill, they will often say after a few months, you know, I've noticed that my hair is not as greasy, my skin is not as greasy, and three to six months in, they'll say, oh, my skin is clearing up, and the medical benefit of that can continue up to 12 months. So that when they're on the pill it's the problem is going off the pill because they often don't realize that the pill has been helping them now the typical scenario if you're unlucky you'll notice pimples and greasiness very quickly within the first few months really about three to six months is when you really start noticing the pimples coming back and with that um for instance, it can be triggered by stress. You know, that can bring mm-hmm. it on as well. But it's the release of uh, the control of the oil gland. So you can't actually predict what's going to happen. You can have an idea. So if you know that you're on the pill for bad acne and it's cleared you, you may really secretly worry that you're going to get it back again. And don't be surprised if you do. The other thought 
is that women who have been on the pill for a long, long time, such as the lady who's been on it for 10 years, some people think that the longer you're on it and the earlier you start is more a risk for post-pill acne. Can you do anything about it is the big, big question, isn't it? Mm. And, and with that, can you do anything about it? So people, I often say to my patients, you know, you've got great skin now, you're on the pill, but when you're ready to have kids or when you want to go off the pill, tell me, just don't stop. Okay. Because often they stop and then they ring you and say, help, help, you know, it's all coming back. So what you can do before you can actually warn the patient and say, look, your skin is great. It's probably the pill that's helping you. But if you do want to go off it, you have to be prepared for a flare. And so sometimes you can get the skincare or the acne treatment happening before they stop. Mm-hmm. That's really good advice. So sorting it all out and being prepared ahead of time rather than dealing with it as it pops up. Absolutely. That's great advice. Another listener has asked sort of the reverse question. She says, can anything be done about hormonal breakouts without going on the pill? Okay. So a lot of people can't go on the pill because of various health reasons. And yet they fully acknowledge that there is this hormonal element. Okay. I guess the thing is, number one is stress. And I'm sorry to harp on that, but stress can trigger hormonal acne. Oh, it's important to talk about, please. And the other thing is skincare. So I'm a dermatologist and I deal with medical issues, but skincare can be a huge help. The other thing is there are anti-androgens. So there are other medications that can work on the oil gland that aren't the oral contraceptive. And a really commonly one prescribed is something called spironolactone, which many of your listeners may have heard about. Spironolactone has been around for a long, long time. It's not new, it's not sexy, but it's very, very safe. It's inexpensive and it doesn't need monitoring. So that's a really good one to talk to your doctor about prescribing. This question is a little bit left field, but I'm so interested to hear your take on it. A listener has written in saying, I recently had a physiotherapist of 30 years say that acne is related to the cervical spine alignment. What do you think of that correlation? Well, it's interesting how many um, theories there are. And it's Mm. really interesting... I think I would have to say this is a myth, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, it, it, it has been uh, on the internet, I was, okay? But the issue with that, I, I find, is that spinal um, misalignment, that what they're saying is that it disrupts the nervous system. So the argument that people are putting forward to this is that if you have a spinal misalignment, it alters your nervous system it changes your cortisol, which is your stress hormone. Okay. Now that cortisol can be changed if you're in pain. Okay. If you're frightened, if you're stressed. So I think to say that you need cervical spine care is, is uh, I would not say that is a real cause Mm -hmm. because cortisol is involved in so many other natural stresses of our body. The other thing is that a lot of people have acne on their upper back. 
So that's a sort of easy one from an anatomical geographical point of view. Oh, you have a cervical spine problem. Oh, you've got acne on your upper back. It doesn't work like that because it's got nothing to do with the oil flow there. It's very common to have acne on your upper back. And the reason, as I've mentioned, is because that's where you've got a lot of oil glands on your face and on your upper back. And the other reason you can have spots on your upper back is not because of acne, but because of folliculitis that looks very, very much the same. And we're seeing a ton of it during COVID because everybody is exercising more. So that looks like acne, but it's not true acne. And that occurs on the upper back. Hmm, there we go. It's all coming back to these pesky oil glands, isn't it? <laughs> Look, it is, but there's so much more. There's a whole lot of new science to do with acne bacteria, to do with inflammation. And maybe we'll get to talk about the microbiome and all sorts mm. of stuff like that because that's really topical. Well, another acne cause that popped up a lot in these questions was diet. We had several listeners write in asking if there is a link between dairy intake and breakouts. You know what? I think that that's, that's been a question and that's been so controversial over decades. Mm-hmm. Probably controversial because a paper was published decades ago about chocolate and we all want to blame something because it makes us feel better that you know we can blame ourselves or something whether it's washing our face whether it's what we eat so the issue with dairy uh, is the fact that if you drink more milk it can cause acne and the theory of that was that there are hormones in the milk that stimulate our oil glands. In some populations, drinking a lot of milk probably can trigger acne. So that's a, yes, I agree with that. It's controversial. So some people actually think it's skim milk and definitely it's the whey, the W-H-E-Y protein Mm -hmm. that is in milk. So if you have a lot of bodybuilders who are having whey supplements, that can trigger acne. Now, the interesting question is, okay, okay, milk in some people, um, just a little bit of milk is fine. You know, a cup, maybe two or three or four cups a day is a problem. But people are concerned about dairy in general. And I must say that current research shows that yogurt and cheese are absolutely a-okay because people think they've got to cut the dairy out completely. I'm thrilled to hear that cheese is still okay. This is excellent news. I've had another listener write in saying, I think that my acne is gut related. What can I do topically to calm it down while I work on the underlying causes? Ah, okay. So the theory with the gut is all to do with the microbiome and the microbiome is incredibly topical. And most of the work was done on the gut microbiome and gut health and hence probiotics. Mm -hmm. And especially if people have been on antibiotics for a long time, that can change their gut. The theory, the current science with this is that, and, and this is all hypothesis. Okay. Is that if you have an abnormal gut, the microbiome is changed and your gut will release uh, micro, uh, microbes into the bloodstream that will act on the oil gland and our skin. So the thought is that if you correct your gut, 
you can correct the skin. Now, the big deal, it's not just the oil gland, it's the microbiome and on our skin. And that's really topical because what we find is that we used to blame all acne bacteria. And that used to be called Propionobacterium or P. acnes. We've now renamed it. So it's Cutibacterium acnes or C. acnes. And we thought that if you had this bacteria, it always caused acne. Now with genomic studies, what they see is that it's only certain strains of this C. acnes. So we can't blame all bacteria, but just some people have a certain strain. So what will happen in the future, I think, is that we're going to look at changing the microbiome of our skin. And that's going to be a, a really big deal because that is going to change with skincare. So that our microbiome is going to be healthier on our skin, not just by treating our gut, but by what we wash our face in and what we put on our face. So when she's talking about how can I help my skin, it's basically good skincare. It will be in the future, I think, and this is very futuristic, changing that microbiome. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I hope that that's, a, that's the big picture. Well, let's talk about that good skincare that you mentioned. I had a lot of listeners write in asking about which ingredients they should be looking for in their skincare products specifically if they do want to reduce the appearance of acne. So what should they be looking for? So, so basic, basic, um, we always read about cleansing. I mean, washing your face is important. And why we wash our face, we want to get rid of dead skin cells, bacteria, oil, pollution. So often we want to cleanse with something that is mildly peeling, exfoliating, or something that unclogs the pore, okay? Because as the oil comes up through the pore, it brings with it dead skin cells and they clump up and that's what makes the blackhead or the whitehead. So simple things like glycolic acid, alpha hydroxy acids, glycolic acid, beta hydroxy acid, salicylic acid, they've been around forever. They've been around in a lot of face washes and that's a good start. It doesn't have to be expensive. A lot of them are available from the chemist. So you don't have to get something really, really expensive online. The, the other thing is um, skincare. I mean, benzoyl peroxide has been around forever, still recognized as being something effective, okay? It has multiple actions, antimicrobial, peels the skin, unclogs the pore. And then the new kid on the bullock, I guess, is niacinamide. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the readers um, and listeners will know that niacinamide is coming out in more products. It's a naturally derived uh, vitamin B and why it's considered good is because it is anti-inflammatory and it can help decrease oil flow as well. So it's a gentle product to use. So combining some of them together with, you get the best of both worlds. You get an anti-inflammatory component with a peeling agent. Perfect. I'm sure everyone will be very happy to hear that they don't have to spend a fortune they can just pick these ingredients up from the chemist that's always a nice thing to hear are there any ingredients that we should be looking to avoid when we're treating acne topically i think one of the things is that some of the papers are coming out and it's not so matter much a matter of avoiding products it's too much aha uh -huh, yes it's it's actually 
I'm I'm reviewing the journals at the moment and what is the correlation is the more stuff you put on your face so it's layer upon layer upon layer and the correlation is the more product you use the more likely you are to have a problem so I think that simple is best and less is best as well and when you're a doctor less is best is actually good because the more things you do the more steps it's harder for people to actually do that do different forms of acne for lack of a better word do they need to be treated differently for example blackheads versus whiteheads okay uh different forms yes 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 and the issue here is if it's superficial and not inflammatory uh, a lotion or a cream is absolutely fine if you're starting to get those inflammatory lesions angrier deeper lesions sometimes a cream or lotion or skincare just won't cut it you actually need more and that's when the listener should think okay i'm not getting better with this i've given it a good try maybe eight to 12 weeks i need something more so i guess the other thing for people is we all live in hope but don't leave it too long because the longer you leave acne the more prone it is to scarring and mm. certainly if you've got acne that hasn't responded or you're really upset because it's limiting what you can do i think you should see your doctor a listener has asked about blind pimples, which is something I get asked about all the time. Uh, she's written in saying, what are the best steps to take when you have an under-the-skin volcano pimple, which I assume is just a very angry blind pimple. Yeah, so the concept of blind pimple, it's, it's because you can't see it. You can't see an opening. And it reflects a deeper lesion. Mm-hmm. And it reflects often in inflammatory lesions because these ones are the sore ones. They're painful, they're tender. And it's not, if you think of a pimple as just a balloon, it's really not like one balloon. They're often deeper and angrier because they're what we call multiloculated. They're rooms within rooms. They're all the oil glands joined up. A bit like if you think of a, think of a cat, um, cauliflower. Oh, all, yes. Okay, think of a cauliflower and you have all those flowerets that, and you think that big, big cauliflower, they're all oil glands. So if you're treating one that settles down, you've got the next one to pop up. Now, when you have those, they are awful for patients. They're often recurrent. They're often painful. Uh, what people want to do is pop them. Okay, that's the natural inclination. Stick a needle in, squeeze the hell out of it. The problem with that is that you can scar, you can make it a thousand times worse and you still won't get it to go away completely. You, you'll probably feel great that you've got something out, but then it will bleed. I think we've all done this. It mm-hmm. will bleed. It will leave a red mark. That red mark will last even longer and you'll force the pimple in deeper and you'll get scarring. So unfortunately, there are two ways about this. You've either got to be really patient uh, oral treatment can help. So oral antibiotics can help. Uh, topically, it's hard to really get rid of them because it's deep down. Some patients will do very well by having them injected with steroid by their doctor. And that can really, really help dramatically. Uh, basically overnight, it can help them. I'm actually 
sort of thrilled to hear that there isn't some sort of remedy that we've got in our bathroom cabinets because I get so many messages saying, I've got a blind pimple, how do I get rid of it overnight? And I'm like, step away from the mirror. (laughs) Whatever you're thinking about doing, don't do it. Absolutely. And when you're talking about bathroom cabinet, you know, a lot of people say, well, what about toothpaste? We've all Googled toothpaste. The reason is there's an optical illusion happening. You're cancelling out the red, okay? It's the same if you have green makeup. You're cancelling out that red component. So it's an optical illusion. Mm, Okay, good. We've busted another myth. Yeah, great. I had a lot of listeners write in with questions about body acne, which we have touched on, and I think we are experiencing more of it now that you know our lifestyles have changed with lockdown should we be treating acne on the body differently to facial acne or can it be treated the same way you know it can be treated the same way and I think it's really neglected because when you see the doctor you focus on your face it takes a lot of time and it takes a bit more of an examination say let's look at what's on your chest and your back but it often is something that people are really aware of about and interferes with going to the beach god forbid what you wear you know whether you wear the strapless dress or not that night treatment's harder because it's a bigger surface area number one so whatever you're using you need more treatment number two it's very difficult it's often inaccessible so when you're trying to put the cream on your back you know unless you have a loved one who can help you do that the treatment can be difficult So oftentimes you're looking at uh, having a tablet sort of treatment uh, because it's a reflection that the acne is more severe. It's a more widespread area rather than just topical treatment. So having acne on your face and back often signifies more widespread disease, the need for an oral treatment. But then again, you've got to sort out whether or not you've got folliculitis and you're just sweating a lot as well. So there are the two conditions that look very, very similar. You've mentioned oral medication there. I had quite a few people ask if it's possible to treat really stubborn acne without going on oral medications. I had a lot of people ask specifically about Roaccutane. Sure. Okay. So stubborn acne, and when we talk about stubborn acne, we're often talking about treatment-resistant acne. You know, it's just not getting better. You've done everything over the counter. You've bought the wash. You've bought the creams. You've been prescribed the creams and the wash as well. And when you're looking at oral medication, you're thinking of, number one, the oral contraceptive, which is, is in women with difficult hormonal acne. You're thinking about oral antibiotics, and there's a big fear factor despite the fact that they've been used for decades and it's really up to good stewardship and giving the appropriate antibiotic in a short period of time. Uh, With oral isotretinone, so you're looking, the choice is really oral isotretinone or what we know as Accutane, Orotane, uh, Roaccutane. I think that's reserved for people who have very, very severe acne and In Europe, they will only consider it if you've been on oral antibiotics and failed. So it's not something you're automatically given. You have to go through the hoops. For some people, uh, it's as a dermatologist, it's pretty obvious if they need it. So the people you'd be thinking about are those people who are really psychologically upset. 
they need to sort this out. So they mightn't have bad, bad, awful, deep nodular cystic acne. They may be severely um, psychologically distressed by this. Okay. So they're, that's one group. The other people with nodules or cysts, deep lesions, and they haven't responded to oral treatment. You'd be thinking about it. But again, you know, the aim in medicine is to do no harm. So for these patients, you try and give topical treatment, uh, supportive skincare for as long as you can. But then somebody's got to make the hard decision. And it's a joint decision between the doctor and the patient. This is another question that we have touched on earlier, but I think it's important to uh, to revisit it and hammer it home. And I received a number of questions to the tune of, can off-the-shelf topical skincare products actually do anything for acne or do we need prescription skincare? I think that, yeah, they of course they have a role because not everybody can get to the doctor. Not everybody um, wants a prescription. I guess the fact is, yeah, topical skincare can make a difference. And in the past decades ago, we used to say, no, 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 because basically what you got was a soap or a, a pimple cream that smelt awful, that looked awful. But now with science and technology, things are getting better from a skincare point of view. And what we're actually looking at is, is actives and actives are ingredients that help a certain problem. And so if you go off the counter, uh, you can, and so we're talking non-prescription, a lot of the treatment is quite successful. It's only when it's not working that you really need a prescription. So I think that's a really good first port of call. Over the counter, your chemist is great. And you can often start off with a low strength and build up. So even something like benzyl peroxide, you've got sensitive skin, you start off at 2.5 or 5% and then ramp it right up. Likewise with uh, alpha and alpha and beta hydroxy acids, you know, you can start at a lower percentage and then ramp that up as well. If it's not working, of course, see your doctor. Finally, a listener has asked, what would you recommend as a good routine for controlling breakouts? What sorts of steps should I be incorporating morning and night? Okay. So we're assuming this, pe this person is living their life and dealing with stress very well. We're assuming this person is having a normal Western balanced diet of low GI food. So that's a good start. We're assuming this person is going to wash their face morning and night because we have to deal with pollution. We have to deal with our own bacteria and oil. So washing morning and night is fine. In the morning, uh, I often like uh, an antioxidant if you're getting older, but even something like a, a, a salicylic acid, glycolic acid in the morning uh, and a sunscreen. So I always say to patients, and I live in Sydney, where we need sunscreen for nine of the 12 months. So I do sunscreen every day and have for decades. At night, it's different. At night, you can use your benzyl peroxide. You can use your retinol at night. Uh, and I think that's a really good combination. Very simple. That was dermatologist, Dr. Joanne C of Central Sydney Dermatology 
who you can find at csdermatology.com.au. You can discover more about La Roche-Posay's skin clearing Epiclar range, formulated specifically for oily and acne-prone skin, at laroche-posay.com.au or on Instagram at laroche-posay-a-u-n-z. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at jemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.